All the latest news, views and reactions to the A-League, the Socceroos and Australian football. This is 442FM. Hello and welcome to 442 FM. I am your host Adam Jackson and with me I have Kevin Ez. Hello. I'm wearing a balaclava. <laughs> what are you wearing a balaclava for? Because I'm a soccer thug according to That laugh, sinister laugh is Constant Acostas. Um, I don't have any flares on me officer. Do you have a shirt that says ultras though? I do. Uh, seriously? Yeah, no I don't. <laughs> I'm too old to be an ultra. I think the age limit is between 16 and 20. And IQ or age? Both, I think. Okay. So, yeah, I'm, I'll stand in the cove, but I won't, I won't do any ultra-type behaviour. Do you know how to put a balaclava on? I do, but um, so cutting the holes... the ultras club immediately. I, I was kicked out of the ultras because I did cut holes, and apparently you're not allowed to holes. You're supposed to walk blindly. <laughs> Were you wearing the balaclava at the time like when you cut the holes? Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah, Health and safety issues there, I think. This is the longest intro ever. I've, I've, I've only got halfway through it. We've got we've got a full a full room today. Um, uh, next on the list is our um, four four two foreign correspondent and UK football hooligan, John Davidson. Hello, hi guys. How are we? And breakfast specialist. He's on FaceTime again. Yep. Serial killer. And, and, and saving the best till last. Um, as we talk about the women's game later on, we have um, the women's game editor, Anna Donk. Thanks very much. I'm just finishing this tweet to Channel 7 because I think they need to know about you guys. Isn't that right? <laughs> <laughs> and savoury behaviour? We are antisocial. <laughs> antisocial um, media. Sorry. That's two bad jokes in less than five minutes. Well, oh, it doesn't get any better than this either, sorry. <laughs> oh, do you know what? You've not listened to this before, have you? No, no Do you know what? I was going to go even worse than that. I was going to go, Kev could be uncle social rather than anti-social. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, well God. done. That, that would have been even... All right, anyway. Okay. Let's get on with the pod. That's um, a good move, I think. Yeah. So, after a week of mind games from Arnie... Not so much from from Muskie. Um, uh, Muskie printed off uh, some of his uh, some of his mind games, stuck it all over the training ground in the changing rooms. Um, what was what was the what was the quote that he put on the on the wall? Like um, you don't uh, earn an ounce of respect from from winning the league. Did you hear that one? Well, I thought his first uh, instruction was to best up Arusha, which is the first chance you get, throw the elbow. <laughs> And uh, it worked very well. Yanko, sorry, I, I got confused. The, I think Yanko is doing his fair share of that. <laughs> well, Barisha throws a better elbow than than Yanko. I thought. Oh, I don't know. I think it was. They both got. It blind. was elbow for elbow, to be honest. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I think you're talking through the veil of bitterness because I definitely <laughs> saw Yanko in there with the elbows. There was elbows all around. Yeah, Yanko was retaliating well, was, first, but Yanko was. Um, <laughs> Uh, trying to balance himself. Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and Barisha was elevation. trying to hit the middle of Yerman's head, I thought. 
That's my... For once, I don't think actually Barisha did genuinely mean that. They didn't need to. Before (laughs) Jermyn Jermyn had hit the ground, he was saying, oh shit, sorry, I didn't mean that. You could see him, he he was actually genuinely... I thought he was actually arguing that Jermyn's head hit his elbow. I think afterwards, too, the referee was. But after that didn't work, then he said He genuinely didn't expect to turn around and see Jermyn on the ground. Yeah. I don't think he'd, he knew he'd made contact, but he didn't intend to make contact. Well, that's that the... That particular time. I'm not saying he's in it. Well, that's the grand final, isn't it? First chance you get, elbow, start proceedings off. Uh, as somebody said, you know, that was Cristiano Red uh, in previous years. Uh, you know, yes. Yeah. Clash um, like that, bit of claret flow. Grella also got... You're off. Grella mm-hmm. also got sent off in the Asian Cup in the quarterfinal because of that too, so... Yep. Um, but Grell yeah. probably did mean it. But that's... I really can't um, find Grell anything else. would disappointed it was only just <laughs> a slight flesh wound. He's, <laughs> he's, he's been watching a bone sticking through. <laughs> I, I actually was saying, like, I'm surprised he didn't... Um, when he had to go off the field because he was, had blood on his uh, elbow, um, I'm surprised he wasn't licking it off. Um, <laughs> I said that during, during the grand final. I was like, because he must have seen it and just gone, oh, like... I'm very excited, but uh, yeah. But that's the only thing that I can be bitter about. Actually, I can't really begrudge Melbourne victory anything else. Like besides that moment, they all. I mean, they fought. They played within the rules, and they um, bustled Sydney in the first twenty minutes. Um, I think Musket revved them up better than Arnold did, and they lost the battle. I think Musket revved them up the right way. Yeah, mm. I think uh, Arnie had obviously sent them out and told. Uh, his lot to, to ruffle victories feathers and you know really try and put them on the defensive back foot and upset them uh, whereas Musket just said go out and play your best game uh, and they completely overran Sydney's midfield I yeah. thought yeah you had a feeling that if it was going to be played on football terms Melbourne victory had shown all season that they were the best footballing side in the league and you had the feeling that Arnold thought well let's let's get them off their game early and see if we can play ourselves into the match and unfortunately it felt like then they took their eye off the ball and what they were doing so well in the front third I mean they'd scored a ridiculous amount of goals since the Asian Cup and suddenly Mm. they just couldn't put an attack together I mean they ended up having what two shots yeah and uh, you know the service to the front line was being completely cut off because the the midfield was being swamped by by victory but Sydney were being the architects of their own uh, defeat as well because all the stuff that they'd just been building up and building up all season and doing really, really well. Those precision passes into space, through balls, everything, not one of them was coming off. And they weren't even coming... It wasn't just that they were getting beaten to the ball, it just wasn't coming off. Summed up by that free kick that ended up going out of bounds. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was just I think, I think I think you know, too, when um, when Lee Robson scores, that you know that's complete domination. I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't get... He's not known for his goal scoring, but... When he's banging them in, that's, you know that's uh, a good performance from Melbourne Victory. And that was just the uh, salt into the wound, wasn't it? Uh, Broxham <laughs> just coming in. For and you, just... Colin, yeah. What's that? For me? Yes, for you and Sydney FC, I, th- yes. I think um, a lot of uh, neutrals watching the game probably, probably um, enjoyed, enjoyed seeing the Brox in the box. Yeah, but I don't think, I don't think a lot of neutrals really uh, um, like Melbourne Victory. Um but anyway, mm. I, I thought uh, uh, there was three things that were key. Um, the first one was uh, uh, the left back for Sydney FC, Pekovic, had his worst game of the season. 
and gave the ball away. I think that was uh, that was horrible um, how he how he did that. The second one was Brosk didn't have his best game of the season either. And the third thing was Graham Arnold usually in that occasion changes the team around in the second half. Sydney were being swamped. Um, in most cases during the season, he's changed something around, but he, there was nothing that he could change because Fatty came off. Mm-hmm. Um, German was seeing uh, little birds flying around his head, and there was nothing that could change that. I don't think Antonis, usually um, Antonis has come on or something like that, but nothing really could be changed. And that was the, the problem, that he couldn't, he couldn't do anything to um, stop the way that Melbourne were pressing. And I, and I don't think Melbourne had played their best game of the season, because no. they, they, they didn't play like that all year. They didn't play any game like that where they just concentrated on stopping the other team's um, play. And also, um, Dimitrovic uh, just got found out his, um, his inability to find space. Uh, and also, Tavares um, slow, uh, slow, was slow in possession. Mm. Um, so I think those two things, like Sydney FC's biggest strengths, became their weakness. And uh, it was very frustrating. Uh, and also, Yanko had that chance in the second half. And it was only 1-0 at that time. And he should have mm. buried that chance. And, uh, yeah, it was just very frustrating. And Melbourne Vickery just capitalised. They've got a bit lucky with the first goal. Um, and then the second goal, they've got a bit lucky as well uh, with the second goal. And, and then Broxham just was showing all the flair he's been not showing all season and finished it off. I, I thought Broxham was brilliant in, the, in that game. I was saying mm-hmm. to Kev um, earlier today, probably you might not have got it, the full extent of it, if you were watching on TV, but being there... Um, any time that Sydney turned over the ball from a, a victory attack or they had it in their defence, Broxham or Valeri were within an inch of a beanie. And, and there was a few times where a beanie sort of tried to find a bit of space to create a, mm. a counter-attack as quick as possible. And, um, and, and they just shut it out. And, and Broxham was, uh, he was tireless in, in the work rate. And it showed that in the 90th minute that he, when... Um, Cal Fowler got the ball and he was not far from outside the box. Broxham was still in his own half and he ran the length of the mm. pitch to make it up, get into the box, took a great first touch and put it into the top corner. Mm. Um, and I think that capped off a brilliant display from him. And uh, yeah, from maybe he's, he's had a few critics this season and he's been sort of moved around as a bit of a, a utility man. Uh, I thought he was deployed very well in, in, that, in his role. I, thought, uh... I think you're right, you're right there too, Adam, because I, I heard... Um... Georgievsky speaking, Daniel Georgievsky speaking yesterday, and he, he mentioned that closing down a beanie and, and now off was sort of the main you know, game plan, um, considering how well they've been playing and you know how they bring the ball forward through from the flank. So they, they obviously they really did that on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, Abini was completely anonymous for most of the match. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought uh, Namov tried but wasn't getting anywhere at all. Uh, but also for that, I think it was the, the third goal. I was actually screaming at the TV to uh, reward Barbarossa's because he made a belting run as well mm. with Broxham, yeah. and he was ahead of I think he was mm. ahead of Broxham, mm. and I was screaming FPK reward the <laughs> reward that run yeah. get to him, uh, but he just kept out and gave it to Broxham. Broxham did the damage. Yeah, no, no one was going to stop Brox in the box. Brox <laughs> in the box. <laughs> that was very good, John. I like that one. The other thing that I thought was interesting, and you mentioned it a little bit earlier, Con, was that. Melbourne played a different game than they'd played all season. Mm. Um, we always talk about coaches and their evolution and to see what they do when they come up against another side. And I thought it was really good that Muskie was able to change it up 
and realise what Sydney's strengths are. And yes, Melbourne had been playing a different game all season, but to neutralise those strengths and then find a way of being able to go forward. And, you know, a lot of things have been said about Muskie over the last couple of years. You know, did he get lucky getting the coaching? Um, is he coached by default because of Ange going to the Socceroos? But I think this season he's probably silenced those doubters a little bit with the versatility that mm. he's had with the team. And being able to find the right tactics. I mean, you get a massive player like... Um, Bessa Barisha coming into the side, it's very easy to make the side all about him. Mm. I mean, he's a big money spend, um, but he's done it really well to be able to integrate all the players into the right pieces and play some really forward, fluid football. It's an interesting team he's built up actually down there because he's got Trimbuli down there as the football director, mm. presumably helping him with the recruitment. Mm. They've recruited so well. Yeah. Mm. I mean, brilliantly. They had a great squad last season and they didn't just maintain the core of that. They've enhanced it. They brought in FBK as well, yeah. and just stunning. Uh, it's a really, really balanced, powerful squad. And I think that is a big difference for many of the teams these days from what it was, you know, even just a, five years ago. You used to have lopsided squads. You'd have players being played out position. Both Sydney and Melbourne, even though Sydney's been hit with a few uh, injuries this year, both played the best teams that they had available with everybody pretty much except Petkovic uh, in you know the first choice position mm. uh, and I think you know that's a sign of the maturing of the, the A-League in itself but also really good signing and acquisitions by the, the coaches yeah. I think Musket's done a brilliant job uh, you know he's done the double in his first full year mm. as a coach it doesn't matter who was a coach before him <laughs> he, he had to do the, the double with what he had and what the skills he brought Mehmet Durakovic was in an almost identical position mm. Uh, and did absolutely nothing. So you know, if you're gonna, you got to bear what's gone on before, uh, and put Musket's uh, achievement in perspective like that. I think he's done a brilliant job. To my dying day, I'll still contend Perth would have beaten them in the grand final. Just, ah. you know, <laughs> FFA conspiracy, Perth would have beaten them. Hey. But what you're saying about Musket, I reckon Musket was just waiting for a game like this because this was a Musket-esque performance mm. like just playing um playing uh, to the edge of the rules um i think gillette was letting a lot of uh um uh, I, th- I wouldn't say he was um biased but he was affected by the home crowd i don't think he was i thought it was I, I like a very home complaining about this for yeah. once and i'm not a fan of jared gillette at all but I actually thought he had a bloody good game. And he looks honest. like he should be working at McDonald's. That's how young he looks. <laughs> and, but but I don't know. I'm, I'm maybe um, I'm definitely biased and I'm definitely bitter. But, <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. But I thought um, like this was such a musket performance. Like all season they've been playing with flair and um, vibrant attack and all that sort of stuff. And this game, he just uh, it was just all about um, stifling Sydney. Um, they had 70% possession, I looked up, mm. during the f- middle of the first half. I couldn't believe. Yeah. But they didn't do anything. Figures. They yeah. didn't do anything with the possession. They just kept on um, camping in Sydney's territory, stifling the pos- um, stifling any Sydney attack. Um, uh, Milligan and uh, Valeri, you could tell they're two Socceroos, midfielders. Mm. Much more... Uh, um, much more... They were uh, much more dominant... Mm. Um, in in what they were doing compared to um, Dimitrovich and uh, Tavares, Tavares and Milic, um, Dimitrovich, you know their passes were uh, were not as good compared to what they were doing for the rest of the season. And Musket was just, I reckon, just before the game, going, "All right, 
get get rid of all this flair bullshit. This is about you know Mike. This is his. This is Musket's real coaching. I think Jose Musket. Yeah, just yeah. really like just um, just really uh, being able to express his 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 ideas and thoughts in the best musket way that he could that he can and wanted to and good luck to him i mean this this is what you know if you want to win a grand final this is the way to do it but this was against the postacoglu method as well this is oh, apparent if you look yeah. when you, if you look at both types of ideals and philosophies totally opposite Postacoglu would we never coach about Jose musket muscatino but it was it was a, <laughs> it was a genuinely pragmatic yeah. controlled Controlled. Let's get a one 0 win. If that's all we're going to get, yeah. that's all we need. Yeah, we're just going to get that one 0 win. Uh, and in the end, it was a three 0 win. Uh, but I think a lot of it came from Millsy. You know, uh, halfway through the second half, there was one man who was going to get the Joe Marson medal, and nobody was coming close to being second. Mm-hmm. I, I honestly could pick a second place. Uh, Mills, Milligan was just dominating in the centre, box to box as well. You know, he wasn't just sitting. Ahead of uh, the defenders, he was leading the attack. Uh, yeah. He had way. crazy eyes during that game. <laughs> he had a <laughs> bit of the Borussia's. Uh, yeah, he won definitely, and that's the big thing, isn't it? Who wants it? Who more? wants it more? And and uh, and yeah, Muskie got him fired up. Like you mentioned before, like the the first well, the first two goals um, were were a little bit lucky or came mm. from mistakes. But that's what that formation set up to mm. do. They were forcing errors from, mm. from Sydney's backs or um, uh, Dimitrovic or Tavares on the ball. Uh, I think it was Brosk who, um, yeah, lost who, the, who lost the ball for the second goal. Yeah. But there was there was one just before the second goal where um, uh, there was a mix-up in defence and, and Barbarousis could have got put through and he j- just went wide. Um, and, and that just basically came from them... Um, Marking being very disciplined in their in their f- formation and having players that were working hard and pressing um, the the backs and as Sydney were playing it out, I, th- I thought it was brilliant. And I th- uh, Graham Arnold on the press conference afterwards, and he was he was saying that the referee referee um, ruined the game. He did. And uh, I'm not speaking to Connor anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, what do you want me to say? Well done, victory. Let's applaud them. The referee was great, but I don't think uh, if 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 there was okay. What, what, think about this: if Sebre Dolowski was refereeing the game, it would have been a totally different affair. He would have been much more biased towards Sydney FC. <laughs> and it would have been a much better result. <laughs> I don't know, there might have been a bit of a slapheads union going on. A slapheads union. <laughs> um. But yeah, from the from the mind games of, of Arnold before, and the, the way that um, he almost felt like he was setting up his team, that trying to portray Sydney as being the better team, that the informed best team, best team in the A League, best team court in the A League. You know, he, he he felt like he almost had one one hand on the A League trophy. It was really um, odd for him as well because he he usually prefers the underdog status. Yeah. Always, any other time he's been in that situation, he's always claimed underdog status and used that to uh, lift his players. And it's think, worked for him. Maybe he tried something different I this time. I don't think Sydney fans would allow him to have that underdog status. It's mm. a different club to the Central Coast Mariners. This is a club that has an entitlement, um, sense of entitlement about them. So yeah. I don't think they would have taken kindly to be spoken about as the underdogs. It was too teams that were supposed to be going in level, you know, two states, the two best teams apparently mm-hmm. in the A-League era. So um, 
they wouldn't there's no way they would have taken the underdog status and they possibly should have because they tried to play like they did against Adelaide and Adelaide mm. allows them Adelaide plays a different kind of game they allow them that space so they were able to um, run into the pockets I mean Abini was able to do that time and again fill in the space within the lines but Melbourne are just too disciplined for that and they couldn't find a way to play a different time of game and maybe that's something that Arnold needs to wear because where was the second what was the plan B where mm. were the changes yeah. when you saw that your plan A was not working yeah and I, and I think going in like that it's actually shown that, that um, the as I said the, the one hand on the trophy has been sort of dramatically um, whipped away from him um, similarly to Frank Lowy <laughs> Too soon? Oh my gosh! No, that's, uh, oh, I don't know. Are we allowed to make fun of? I think we all know he's all right, but is he definitely all right though? Well, David Gallup. We've yet to see him in public since, which is always a bit of a worry. But uh, the, the, the word from uh, the Kremlin is yeah. that he is fine. Yeah, Sorry. David Gallup has. Um, Square. David Gallup has uh, Matilda's farewell said he was fine and he was resting well. So, but um. He, he took a fall that didn't oh. he? I genuinely oh. thought we'd just seen the head. The amazing thing was um, when, when he did fall, it seemed like, I remember the footage, I think only Ben Kafar was the one sort of rain down helping everyone else sort of just standing and watching. It was um, laughing and pointing. Milligan's, <laughs> Milligan's face. Style. Milligan's face. He was just stood there looking at you. Know, he isn't that expression at the best of times, is, uh, <laughs> is Millsy. But he was just sort of like looking down like uh, someone's like, you know, lost a pen or something. And he was just looking down from the stage. It was a bit of a, what do you do now? But I, I thought it. that was a great metaphor for the FFA and their planning. Like, look at the podium. How small do you want the podium to be? Can't, can't you afford to get a podium where the but, FFA chairman doesn't fall off and almost kill himself in front of 250 million people? The, the whole design of the podium was kind of bizarre. It's too small. It's got three tiers. It's like a, a black wedding cake. It's a really gothic <laughs> wedding cake. <laughs> And somebody's just gone ping at the groom and Frank Louis has gone flying. And David Gallup, like, why are you holding on to the To be fair, if, if he seat? hadn't held on to it, it would have gone straight down. But I wanted David really... Gallup to dive. Make a goalkeeper. Isn't he a, wasn't he an ex-goalkeeper or something? <laughs> well, I don't know. Just dive. <laughs> Save your chairman. That was Seth Blatter, I think. Seth Blatter, I don't know. Yeah. But... Who must have been the world's shortest goalkeeper. Yeah. It's taken them 10 years to get um, proper seats. We haven't mentioned the, um, the racing car seats. Oh, the, 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 at the stadium. The, dig- the, the dugouts? At the dugouts. It's yeah. taken 10 years. Surely, you know, a proper podium size where you don't, you, you shouldn't have to tippy-toe yeah. so you don't stack it could be uh, afforded. As somebody said, why can't you just have a situation where they go up, they pick up the cup, everybody waves and hands yeah. in the air. Why does it need a stage? Why does it need the whole... Or what about the... Um, Peking duck. The, 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 the Violins and like, cello. Like in Wembley where they walk... Th- in through the crowd and yeah, and yeah. you know have that's something right. like that. I yeah. think that's a much better system. Yeah. And if only Sydney FC get the Queen out for it as well. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. She's and a big A League fan. And I was yeah. saying um, on Twitter, if only Sydney FC showed the same fight that Frank Lowy did to get back up from the ground. Oh please! If only some of the A League players showed the same fight that Frank Lowy did. <laughs> Barisha uh, would still be rolling around to this moment. Uh, I was done several somersaults. <laughs> I was I was driving um, around Melbourne on on Monday and listening to the radio mainly Triple M uh, and every every sort of probably fifteen twenty minutes someone would make a reference to oh he's not like normal soccer players he'd still be down on the ground now he'd be rolling around he got up quicker than soccer players would do 
I was just like, ah, oh, yeah. But to be job. fair, to be fair, A League players are not got nothing on what happens overseas, so nah. to yeah. be absolutely fair to them. Yeah. Um, yeah. Fans, two and a half thousand Sydney fans, fifteen hundred tickets unsold. Talk you were this one, Stanakostas. <laughs> well, I just think uh, um, the problem was that Jetstar was cancelling too many flights. Did you hear about that? Um, but because there was no one on them. Well, there was plenty of people on them. There was plenty of people on them, but I think there just wasn't enough flights to go down there, is my excuse, and I'm going to stick by it. (laughs) That sounds like a terrible excuse. It's the worst excuse I've ever heard. Well, um... It was interesting, that. I don't know the f- yeah that is disappointing if that's if that's the case but I think a lot of Sydney fans would have just went bugger this there's not going to be enough tickets why should I even bother mm. that's that's very Sydney yeah that's, that's right so Sydney yeah, it's that's, not true <laughs> that's what, that's what I, what I reckon it was and if you had a bigger stadium there were most you would have had more Sydney fans there yeah yeah clutching it's I think they did well though with with Amy Park by by all accounts the atmosphere was unbelievable and. You wouldn't have really got that at Etihad. It was, um, yeah, it was a great atmosphere. So. Yeah, it, it was it interesting was. that everybody that was at uh, Emmy Park was saying on Twitter, beats anything at Etihad, mm. hands down. Yeah, the atmosphere. Yeah. The, the atmosphere in there was electric. It was brilliant. There was the the Cove were did a brilliant job. They were they were chanting throughout. Mm. Even towards the end, they sort of died off, which was you know obviously to be expected. But they they, they had planes to catch. <laughs> yeah, um, they were they were going hard pretty much all the way up until like the last sort of t- five minutes. Tell me, stand by me. Could you hear Sydney in the stadium, Sydney fans, while the, the Melbourne fans before the match started this a they played stand by me and yeah. the victory fans sang out i don't i i, I couldn't why what, what were sydney fans meant to be we are they were sing? singing we are sydney but in the tv broadcast you literally couldn't hear the victory fans ah right oh uh, they had just nah. they obviously had the the mic the mic must have been close to what, was to that sydney. gallop singing that song when frank lowey was next to him <laughs> uh, I think yeah, he, Frank Lowy was humming uh, Chumba Wombas <laughs> <laughs> oh lovely reference um, John, topical too yeah yeah <laughs> topical <laughs> of 18 years out of date <laughs> um, has there been much coverage of the grand final over there oh well I think um Judging by um, media, I think uh, the BBC and a few others, the, the Lowy Tumble got a really good run. Um, yeah. You know, that's the, the modern day media. Anything, well, funny in in, in inverted commas, um, people love to see. Uh, so yeah, I think uh, I think the fact that the game was pretty one sided didn't really, um, you know, meant that there would be a lot of coverage over here. But but Lowy's mm. Tumble definitely got did the rounds. They did. It helps having uh, Musket in charge. I, I know he's got. Quite a few fans in uh, in England. Um, people. On the- well, I think I, th- I saw on on social media. I think because um, obviously he's got uh, uh, Maltese heritage, that he got a good spread in the Maltese papers as well. Yeah, that's right. He did. Yeah, mm. uh, but I still hero worshipped at Wolverhampton. Is it? I think is, uh, is that one of those ironic hero? Uh, because he- they, they still love Steve Corrick. I know that for a fact, but. Mm. I think the although he's, he, Musket was probably one of those players that you have him on your team, you like him, but everyone else hates him. Barisha off his day. A Barisha at the yeah. other end. Yeah. 
Did you? I'm I sure like he the um. Love the he definitely fits the Millwall. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like the uh, double spit as well. Did you notice that? The double loogies. What? It was getting fired up, screaming for some decision, and then just was like, it was. It was like he was back on the pitch again. Like you know when. Um, players spit because they're running too much and there's a saliva build up he was just spitting literally like just <laughs> spitting mad spitting mad musket like he was just fr- almost frothing at the mouth <laughs> I, I enjoyed his uh, the, the press conference afterwards I thought it, it, it comes across really well and I the more the more I listen to him the more I like him uh, musket and it's, you know, it's really hard it, I, I've been uh, you know obviously an English football fan for a, for a long time and so he's quite far down on my list, on my likable list. Um, every time I hear him speak um, after games, he goes up more and more in my estimations. I think I, I think he comes across really well, and he's he, he takes uh, questions well. You know, he's he's got quite a, a witty turn of phrase, and, um, and you know, and he's, he's he's quite honest as well, which I which I quite like. Well, they say uh, um, charisma is uh, you like um, someone with charisma because it's illogical. Um, I forgot the line. Sorry. Anyway, continue on. Someone good insight. <laughs> I had a very good charisma thing there, but it's gone. Anyway, yes. All right. Well, that. Um, anything else on the crown final, or can um, we leave the A League? Um, I had some the A League season viewing figures. Oh. Um, I don't know. Maybe we can discuss those. Uh, Four hundred forty-two thousand people watched it on SBS, which isn't We'd bad with an hour's it was delay. On delay. Yeah. yeah. That's very um, good. Two hundred and fifty thousand uh, on Foxtel, and there was um, between two hundred fifty and three hundred million people around the world, and fifty odd countries. Gosh. So I think that's not bad. Um, Is that t- two hundred and fifty million people actually tuned in? Mm, yeah. No, that's possible. It's not really. No, yeah. no, it's like the World Cup. Say it was like the Asian Cup. Saying Is that a just adding people? all the populations yeah. together. Yeah, okay. probable. Yeah. Oh. It was like the Asian Cup saying a billion people. And also, um, billion. there was 18,000 people at uh, the... Um, uh, live site? No, not the live site. At, next door at Dockland Stadium. Gosh. So I lucky think. they booked that instead of the grand final. <laughs> <laughs> so. Oh, I see it. Yeah. Uh, Etihad's. Yeah. Oh, nice. yes. Yeah, I saw a picture of an empty stadium. For that big game. Yeah. yeah, between somebody versus somebody, could, <laughs> couldn't possibly be moved no. anywhere else no. at any other time. Right. Jeez. Right then, um, a little bit of news. So, uh, congratulations to to Lecky and his team, uh, who will be heading up to the Bundesliga next season. Um, if he's uh, if he's sticking around, John, you, is he contracted for another for some more years? Do you know, Lecky? Yeah, I think I think he is. He actually signed um, just before the World Cup. So that was sort of interesting because obviously he played so well at the World Cup. Of course he did. Yeah, I remember that. Saying he's in demand, blah blah blah. But ten million dollar um, man at one stage, I seem to remember. Sorry. He was a ten million dollar man at one stage. Yes, supposedly yeah, a price he said. And, and a lot of journos ran with it. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, no, he he, he went down and, and picked up, and he was quite happy, I think, to stay there. And they pretty much dominated that league. I think they've been first or second. Um, the whole season, so you know, good to see him back in the in the top flight. Obviously, he's been in the Bundesliga before, and hopefully, he can keep you know pushing on and um, you know stay there and, and do well. That'd be great for the Socceroos. Mm. Yanko, 
He is. He's going home. Already he's left gone the home. building. Well, my brother saw a tweet of his where he said, um, "I finally uh, I've signed with Nike, which is the same uh, sponsor as my club," and then deleted it. And his club, his sponsor is Adidas, which Sydney FC. He signed with Adidas. So unless Sydney have changed <laughs> to Nike, then. That's a Sydney weird tweet. Have not changed to Nike, that's no. for sure. No. Well, that's there you go. So yeah. he's he's off. He's signed for someone else then. Yeah, but I thought it, it was really strange. He didn't hang around for the Spurs and uh, Chelsea match, but it turns out he's getting married on mm. June the seventh. Ah, uh, yes. So he's going yeah. on to make his wedding day preparations and stuff. And I think he's also got the um, the Euro qualifiers in early June. Yeah, uh, June sixteen, I think. So you'll have time for a quick honeymoon and. Honeymoon dirty weekend and then back to work again. <laughs> did you did you not phone him up as he was leaving? No. Uh, well, I rang up uh, the Sydney FC uh, media manager and I said, "Will there be any media this week?" And he goes, "Unfortunately, there'll be no uh-huh. media this week." So, yeah, but you've got Yanko's number. Yeah, I do. Should not... I ring him up now? Let's give him a call. I'm sorry, gone. I'm on the plane. <laughs> <laughs> Quite fancy he answered. Let's see if we can FaceTime. Yeah, let's oh, do it. Yeah, let's get him. This is live. Oh, not so live. This is a podcast, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> we could try and FaceTiming him. If he's even if he's on a plane, he will have he probably have Wi-Fi. While um while Con does that, let's chat about um Archie. Um, Musk. Oh, he's not available. Oh, the old Telstra woman. Oh, never mind. Um, Archie. Archie. Um, it's not been uh, apparently Musket said they've had conversations last week um, but neither party were keen to come out and uh, and talk about it um, but there's also uh, Drzejewski Co and Thomas um, who have who have not had contract offers who aren't as not necessarily as high profile as um, as Archie but um, yeah can you can you see him getting signed on again I can because he's a one club hero and he's the kind of guy that you want to keep I mean, he kept getting call-ups to the Socceroos simply because of what he brought to the camp rather than what he was necessarily bringing on, onto the pitch. And I think that can still carry on with his club. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the service he's given the club, yeah, we've got a salary cap, but I think he's worth something from the club. may not be the kind of money he's used to, yeah. but I think they should keep him and they should hold on to these people and transition them into the coaching ranks. I'd, I'd be interested to see the, the salary breakdown of clubs because mm-hmm. Melbourne Victory of, of, of all teams, you know, you, you think of the players that they've got. I know, you, I know, you've got. Um, are you trying to suggest a Mel? Uh, I was going situation to say, I think the FFA chance? would be interested in the salary <laughs> breakdown of the clubs as well. <laughs> it should be, it should be public knowledge. You should know exactly. You know, like they do in, in the US. So, yeah. yeah, I agree. I think they should. Um, it would be complete transparency that way. There'd be a lot of jealous and angry footballers, I reckon, though, if that came out. You're on what? I they they would know what each other. I think the agents would the, yeah. the best agents would be very happy with that because yeah. you know they mm. they'll get more business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, mm. uh, but I, I reckon Archie, what a squad player to have in your team this season. Uh, Barbarossa was out for a few weeks, and Archie took his place and yeah. was scoring goals. It's got eleven goals this scoring, season. Yeah, mainly from his, the bench. That's one of his. That's. His highest return is ten goals. Um, so is that right. So this is the most sco- well, the highest scoring during season. a season. It's ten, but he got another one during the finals. So that's mm. why it went to eleven. But 
but he matches his highest record. Um, Absolutely no question there's another year in him. So, yeah, without if, a doubt. And if he and can I don't play think up he front. has to play off the bench, to be honest. Yeah. So would he want he another starting. year? Would you want another year? You've just won no, another early grand final. I don't think he knows you anything else, so that's the yeah. thing, to be honest. Because I would think, you know, he hasn't got a World Cup to play for. He's obviously mm. not going to be going to an Olympic Games. You've won another A League title. Would you? Would you want another year? This is you go out as a legend of the club. He still, he always will be a legend of the I, club. Yeah, I think they should just hold on to him, like I say, yeah. transition him into coaching. I think it'd be great to great to see uh, an exemption brought in for players like him who've had you know seven eight years at the one club. Um, because I, th- I think there's a very good chance that he will leave if, if they want to keep Georgeski as well, um, because they've obviously upgraded a few other players and kept Ben Kalfala, so um, I think there's going to be some movement in that squad. Oh, here's a question for you. Say he um, was offered a player-coach role, how would that sit in the salary cap? That's a very good question, because um, obviously uh, John Hutchinson was, was sort of filling in that in the, mm. the second half of the season. Um very good, very good question, Adam. Yeah, um, there we go. Um, well, I'll, I'll let everyone ponder, ponder that one for a moment, and uh, I wouldn't. And move I on. wouldn't be asking anyone from Perth for advice about how to structure that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying we're not the only club who did it. Just putting that out there. Um, You're just the only club that got caught. Yeah, just <laughs> we're very good at it. <laughs> so, um, thanks, Joe Gorman. Bonavaccia has signed on for another two years at Phoenix. Uh, it's good great signing. Good signing. Good signing. Yeah, it's good signing in the first place. To dig him out. Yeah. And he sits below the salary cap, doesn't he? Yep. He's yeah. in He's in the cap, I think. Who's there, Marquis, actually, come to think of it? I don't think they have a Are you sure, is he? I don't think he was a Marquis. Oh, maybe he I don't is. think he was a Marquis. No. But the I, question, don't, yeah, I, don't think he, I don't think he was a Marquis. Did they have a Marquis, though? I don't. Well, unless unless oh, Burns Nathan Burns, Nathan that, Burns, of course. Yeah, yeah. But that's but a, that's the, an Aussie. He's a local Aussie. Aussie. Uh, so uh, well, can you have that? You can have a local and you yeah. can have an Aussie as your international if you wanted. Yeah. But well, that's going to be interesting with the Phoenix whether whether Burns does go. Um, obviously, they've they've got rid of a couple of players already. Um, so yeah, they're, they're, there's there's quite a bit of change actually coming around mostly across the A League. So it's going to be quite a few interesting months actually. Mm. Yeah, um, Wanderers had a huge big clear out. Um, yep. It's uh, a fire so, sale if there ever is one. Yeah, there's some good names in there as well. Yeah. Uh, I mean, presumably Bullet and uh, Urich will be looking overseas. That's why they've gone. Um, but uh, Ruka, I'd still say he's a good player still. He just needs to settle down in a club somewhere mm. and get the uh, people around him that he needs. I'd go back to Perth if I was Ruka. Even though they've had a bit of a debacle, I would. I think any club would yeah. want Rooker to be mm-hmm. honest. But I reckon because he's had a bit of a fall from Grace. He was one of the Socceroos. Yeah, he oh, was oh, absolutely. He, he was the next thing, big yeah. thing. He was, he was in the Bundesliga. Yeah, I was covering just... um, Rukovitsa as a um, beat reporter for uh, the WA Premier League. Oh, probably about ten years ago now. Uh, when he was playing for Perth Soccer Club and he was one of those players who just kind of rocked up to training and the coach at the time was Graham Normanton and um, Normanton just saw him, thought he was a fantastic player. So he played for Perth for about two years before he made his big move overseas and at that time he looked like 
the player we'd kind of been looking for. Mm. He had the, all mm. the pace in the world. Still had issues with his finishing, and I think that's always troubled him throughout his whole career. Yeah. But he definitely had the pace to burn, and he and he learnt the football spots. He learnt the creativity. But again, you know, he's one of those players who just never really quite settled down anywhere for a good length of time. And um, you know, the word on the street at that time was maybe he didn't have the greatest advisors around him. Um, and it seems to be something that's just followed him throughout the last 10 years or so. It does seem to be a, a curse attached to being Young Player of the Year at Perth Glory. <laughs> <laughs> Nick Ward as well, you know. That's a well, Jamie McCarran looks like he's going to be leaving the club as well, or he wants to leave the club, so yeah. it's another <clears throat> one. Young striker. Mm. Uh, with talent to spare as well. Mm. Brilliant. Well, that leads us to the main event, and the reason why we got Anne in um, to talk about the um, FIFA Women's World Cup in Canada 2015. Yeah. Thank you for coming in and, and being our our expert, um, as we are far from it. <laughs> so um, maybe just uh, sort of take us through the Matildas to start off with sure. and uh, talk about uh, maybe we'll, we'll start with um, some of the more um, well-known players and we'll maybe come on to uh, some of the lesser known players and you can give us a bit of information on, on the two. Um Katrina Gori, uh, obviously the Asian Women's Player of the Year. Uh, she um, is going in, into the, the tournament with a bit of form as well. She she scored some amazing goals. Yeah, unbelievable. She's, she's an amazing player. She's um, one of those players who has sort of come through it the right way. She's gone through the FFA pathway as they would like it. You know, the under seventeens, under twenties, and through to the Matildas and. She's a player who had to go away from Brisbane. Brisbane was such a stacked team for many years that she had to move away, played in Melbourne for a couple of years, was a gun player there and just slotted into international football. She's only four foot eight or four foot nine, but she's just a massive player and um, really good number 10, a really good attacking midfielder. And I think she's going to be one of the real keys for Australia during this tournament. And she, she's 22? 20, 20, it's a young team. I... I go to Matilda's training and, Lord, I'm only 31, but I feel like I'm like 41 or 51, <laughs> by the way. It just gets younger and younger every year. And the core of this team is an average age of 23.7. So, you know, the last World Cup we went with the second youngest team and we thought a lot of those players would stick around, and they have, mm-hmm. um, and transition through. But still, their core is so young and it will be one of the youngest teams there and Probably the youngest in the group, um, Group D, that Australia's got. And that's even with uh, a veteran like Melissa Barbiera. Yeah. She, <laughs> yeah, that must bring up the average age. <laughs> <slightly. Yeah. laughs> Poor Bob's. Uh, no, um, there are only actually, there will only be two players over the age of 30. Um, wow. You compare that to a US team who will have six players, including a 37-year-old and a 40-year-old. Um, so it's, it's a completely different. It's, I mean, it's insane that the Americans are able to play on that that long because I mean mm. it is very punishing sport for women but it's uh, different for the them knees. yeah it's different for them though um, we start our players really young I mean Sam Kerr Caitlin Ford um, Emily Van Egmond they all got into the Matildas at about 16 years of age in America you don't normally get into the national team until maybe you're about 24 if you're a bit of a prodigy 25 mm. so by the time they get to about 35 they've only been in the national team for about 10 years while by the time our girls to get to 35 you know they've been there 20 years yeah. but those ones the, the, the veterans they've got 
ridiculous number of caps. Oh, they just they? play all the time. They play easily 20, 30 internationals a year in comparison to... If we have a good year, we play 10 internationals, yeah. and that's a really good year. Um, we've had a good preparation for this World Cup. We've played almost about 15 to 20 matches, um, but even then, we've only played about 10 internationals in there. Yeah. So they're, they're, a different, they're a different squad altogether. They just play an, an enormous amount of games, and I know their midfield altogether has six players. So our midfield has no players who have played 100 and maybe two who have played 50. Their midfield's got six players who have played 100 and two that have played 200. Can I just ask you, what about the change in coach? What what, do you, what effect do you think that has? Because there was a bit of a mutiny, wasn't there? Um, when the players just didn't like the coaching methods of the Dutch... What was her name again? Hesterina Hester, 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 Hester. Yeah, so that was um, that was happened just before the Asian Cup in 2014. Um, it was about a month before the Asian Cup, actually. And the Matildas went on to do really well. They they finished um, second to Japan. Um, they they lost one nil in the final. Um, and Alan Stadjic came as in, in as the interim coach. At that point of time, it was probably the best appointment. Um, Stadge had coached a lot of these girls from N-Swiss or coached them at Young Matildas or at Sydney FC. So a lot of them um, knew exactly what he was about. So him as the permanent coach for a lot of the players, it's just almost a continuation of their um, education under Stadge. And, you know, he's been one of those coaches who's been at the grassroots and at the developmental level. um, And he's finally getting his chance at the national team level. He's a nice guy as well. I met him for the first time when I was down taking pics at the... uh training session uh, just before the weekend there and he's, he seems really set he's grown into that role very quickly it seems yeah I think he's he's. I mean coaching Sydney FC and um, they're such a high uh, one of the most um one of the most successful clubs in the W League, but also coaching um, interim with the Matildas, it kind of gave him a chance to sort of slip into it really easily. And he's been around women's football almost 15 years. So he's seen, he's coached some of the, the legends of the game, you know, like a Cheryl Salisbury. And then he's coached a lot of these young players who are coming through, like Caitlin Ford. Mm. You know, he, he developed her and, and look where she is now. So he's definitely somebody who's just really comfortable within um, the women's game here in Australia. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see how it goes on the world stage because he made a bit of a bang at the Asian Cup. I mean, our first game against Japan, we just played some unbelievable football. So it's going to be interesting to see how he goes, um, particularly with the very first game is the US. Mm. Start with a bang. Yeah. What do you think also about... Um, I think what's interesting is Elise Perry's been part of uh, the Matildas in a, as a big thing. Like She's like a poster girl a lot of the time. And, and, and I'm, on Twitter, I follow Lisa Devana. And she used to say... She said a few things about her. Um, uh, not... Uh, uh, I don't think she used her name, but... Um, when she was getting a lot of, uh, uh, what do you call it, um, press, press and all this sort of stuff. And, and I think um, uh, there was, w- when she wasn't playing and she was she missed out on, um, I think pl- she missed out a few games to the Matildas and played cricket instead. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think about the fact that she's not in this squad and Liz Devine is now vice-captain? Um, co-captain. Co- so, yeah, yeah, co-captain. Uh, so, yeah, what do you think about that? D- is it better that she's not there and the team can just focus um, and the focus is not just on her and all that sort of stuff? Look, 
To be absolutely 100%. Because you gave me a weird look when I yeah, brought up her look, name. It's a, to, <laughs> to be absolutely 100% truthful, Elise Perry is not in the team, not because of press or anything external. She just hasn't played enough football. She hasn't played enough football for Sydney FC. She hasn't played enough football for the Matildas. And she actually hasn't played for the Matildas in almost three years. Um, I think the frustration, and I can't speak on behalf of the players, I'll speak as somebody who's in the game all the time. The frustration is that there are a lot of world-class players within our team. But because of the fact that Elise is well-known and she's a fantastic cricketer, she's a very good footballer, but the game is evolving. Women's football is evolving so fast that if you're not in there week in, week out, learning the skills, playing against the best players in the world, not just in our league, but overseas, a lot of the girls play overseas in Mm. Japan, in Germany, in the US, in Sweden. If you're not doing that week in and week out, you just don't keep up. You just do not keep up. And she hasn't for three years. So we, I think there's a real frustration that we're not focusing on the players that we do have. And we have some world-class mm. players. Like our attack will be one of the fastest attacks in mm. the World Cup and probably one of the best attacks in the World Cup. But we don't hear about Elise Devanna, who was nominated for a Pushkas Award. I mean... She scored a stunning goal yeah, a couple of goal years of year, ago. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so you don't hear about Elisa Devanna or a Kai Simon or a Sam Kerr who was one of the top five goal scorers in the US League and comes across and is playing some fantastic football. So it's just, it would be nice to see some recognition from the mainstream media mm-hmm. of the talent that we do have. We need to move on from Elise, don't we, basically? Mm-hmm. We do. She's and a pretty face and a good Oh, look, she's, like I said, I always voice say... Of the Matildas, yeah, but she's I always say she's a solid footballer. She's a solid W League footballer. But we now have players who are actually world class. Mm, taking that next step. Absolutely. And that's, I think, what's, what we need to be focusing on. And we, um, we finished eighth in the last World Cup. I mean, can we, are we legitimate contenders for the World Cup? Or can you, know, can you see a, a semi-final spot or quarter-finals? I'm an eternal pessimist, so <laughs> I'm going to kick it off with that. Look, I think if we can get out of the group and get out of the group well... It then opens yep. it up. With 24 teams um, expanded from 16, there'll be a couple of teams who probably aren't quite there in terms of the top echelon of women's football. So that means that gives us the Matildas a chance in the round of 16. I think on their day, playing their very best football, they're one of the most exciting and one of the really good teams in world football. But it's going to be, are they going to be able to do it on a stage? And make no mistake, this is a massive stage. There'll mm. be 30,000 screaming fans um, for both their opening games and most of them will be American fans. So that's going to be a real cauldron for a lot of these players that they haven't played before. But um, I think one of the really good things about the Matildas is that they don't play with fear. I mean, that's not the Stadge way. The Stadge way is to go out and to attack and see if the other side's got it. And I think that's what's going to be really, really interesting to watch to see how that goes. There we go. Yeah, we're back in the room. <laughs> we're back yeah. in the room. <laughs> A little technical difficulty, but we're back on. We're back on. Um, right. Well, um, on that on that note, as we've come to a natural pause or a somewhat unnatural pause, <laughs> um, Con caught up with Kaya Simon. Uh, he'll have a, a quick couple of minute chat now. Hi, Kaya. Thanks for joining us today on the Four Four Two FM podcast. I really appreciate you giving us your time. Thanks for having me. 
Um, so the Matildas World Cup squad was announced today. Uh, this is your second World Cup. I can't believe it's already been four years since, um, since my first in 2011. Uh, but I'm very excited and obviously very honoured to be named in the um, 23 women's squad um, that was named today. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm over the moon, um, you know, coming back from my injury and, um, you know, starting to to get confident um, with, with my playing again and, um, yeah, looking forward to getting over to Canada and getting the tournament started. Hey, and speaking of your injury, how are you feeling? Because you, you spent a year out. I, I think I'm on the right track. I, I, I think back to my first international game back in, in January this year and I, I thought I'd already made um, a lot of progress then, but um, I, I sit back and look at it now and I feel like I've made the most progress probably in the last three to four months. Being back around the squad and, and being back in that team environment, uh, you know, really gets your your football brain working and ticking over. And I think I've, I've definitely made a lot of progress in, in the right direction. And looking at the squad, there's a lot of uh, experience missing. Uh, no Kate Gill, uh, Colin McCollum, Sally Shippard or Elise Perry. Uh, how will you go replacing that kind of experience? Yeah, I think uh, we've definitely lost, um, you know, those, those experienced players. But needless to say, we're... We've got a very useful team yet experienced and you look at players such as Caitlin Ford and Sam Kerr who were only, you know, 16, 17 um, at, at the last World Cup and now they're um, very much within the team and, and going to their second World Cup at only 2021. 20, so uh, it's very exciting and, um, you know, I think there's definitely a lot of depth in the team between experience, talent, uh, and then, you know, those nitty-gritty hard workers as well. So I think we've got a good balance in the team, um, and I think we're looking in the best shape we ever have. So I just want to um, take you to June 9. Um, it's your first game against the USA at the World Cup. How do you think um, the team will go? Uh, yeah, that's where our, our minds are set, that first game against the US um, on June 8th over there, but... June 9th over here and oh yes, um, <laughs> and, <laughs> Sorry. and yeah, I think that's definitely our focus um, as we lead into the tournament. Um, we we obviously know our opposition from um, the US to the second game Nigeria, who uh, we don't know as much about, and then uh, Sweden in the third game. So we're not looking too far ahead in the tournament, but um, you know, focusing on our opposition, but also focusing on on what we need to do to come out uh, with a positive result. How excited are you to be at the centre of attention? Yeah, I think it's, it's obviously a, a long time coming, that equality between men's and women's sport. And uh, to be on the world stage at the number one footballing event, uh, with, like you said, the whole world watching, um, is a huge honour to, to be representing um, the Australian people. And... Um, for me and, and Lydia Williams, also the Aboriginal people in Australia, uh, is definitely a lot of pride we can take on. Um, and, and we're hoping that Australia really get behind us and uh, we can really show the world what, um, you know, the Australian women's football team can do. Uh, so, you know, with everyone's support, uh, with our family and friends' support as well, uh, I think we can, um, you know, if we, we perform it to our potential, we can really go a long way. Okay, Simon. Uh, so she's back from a pretty serious injury. Um, is she back fit? Is she fully fit? Yeah. Better yeah. than ever? <laughs> yeah, she's been back for a while now. Um, ACL, which is the scourge of women's football mm. all around the world. We were doing a World Cup preview and 
we saw the German side, um, who are world number one and one of the favourites, and they've got four players coming back from ACLs. You know, it's just one of those things. I mean, we've got um, Kaya came back uh, a couple of months ago, about November 2014, and we've just got Lydia Williams, the goalkeeper, and also Lena Kamas, the forward, who have just come back in the last month. So ACLs, women's football, they seem to go together. Um, yeah. But they're all looking quite good, and touch wood at the moment, they're all fit and um, getting into the final preparations for the World Cup. We are just talking... Well, uh, Kai Simon was talking. We were talking about uh, Sam Kerr. And, uh, what was your prediction that you said there? Oh, look, I think if Sam Kerr has the big World Cup, she will be an absolute superstar. Um, she's just... Global superstar. Global I think, superstar. I think, I think so. She's, I mean, she's one of those players who I think marketing-wise you would love. She's got a great personality. Um, she's really down to earth. She's the epitome of, you know, fit, healthy, young... Mm-hmm. Players that is is a good look um, in terms of advertisers, and she's a heck of a footballer. Mm. I mean, I've known Sam since she was thirteen and had just switched from AFL to football, wow. and um, she just instantly was. You saw the natural talent. She was in the state team by the time she was fourteen, and she was debuting for the Matildas by the time she was fifteen. Mm-hmm. So um, she's one of those players who's really matured from going overseas. She's played against the likes of Abby Wombach from the US and Carly Lloyd. And um, like I said, she was one of the top five goal scorers in last year's um, American League. And mm-hmm. I think, and she was player she was player of the year in Australia um, in terms of just looking at her on the pitch. So I think she could be set for a huge World Cup. Bubs is back after uh, falling out f- favour almost, or certainly falling off the the uh, Matilda's landscape for a, a short while. It's going to be our fourth World Cup. Is she yeah. likely to be straight back into the number one position? Um, I think I think if both are fully fit, Lydia Williams goes into the number one. Um, if Lydia has recovered well and um, she played uh, the first match against Vietnam, they played the first half and Bubs played the second half, I think if, uh, yeah, if all things equal, Lydia Williams goes in. Um, Lydia Williams is a top goalkeeper um, when she's in, in full form. So I think she would go one and Bubs would go two with Mackenzie Arnold as number three. But Melissa Barbieri, um, what a story. Uh, she came, She was pregnant in 2012. Um, a lot of people told her to retire. Uh, she was 32. Mm. And they thought, you know, you're done. You've you're done three World back. Cups and Olympic Games, two Asian Cups, including Australia's first trophy. Yeah, I would have thought <laughs> that's a good that would have been But that's not the way Bubs is. She wanted one more goal, and she she genuinely worked hard at it. She was um, WLA Goalkeeper of the Year two years ago, um, and she's just been pushing at this. And, yeah, this is no sympathy um, selection this is she's worked damn hard at it and she's had to be away from home she's had to be away from her young daughter playing in Adelaide she sold her World Cup memorabilia to be able to fund it um, she's she's yeah, I remember she seeing that on Twitter it. she yeah. she needed that to help fund her yeah absolutely that's pretty um, that's it's good that people supported her but it's also bad that we we're just listing a, a list of things that she's won and yeah. she can't afford um, the women's game doesn't allow you to to make a living, so she has to sell off her memorabilia. That's like a really sort of sad story. That the, mm. the state of affairs yes. it's symptomatic sad. of yeah. Australian yeah. women's football, though, isn't it? Yeah, it's sad, but it's also inspiring. Like mm. these are the stories I'm lucky enough to hear every day. You know, these players 
who play literally for the love of the game and put in um, as much in terms of their training and work as, as any footballer, mm. male or female, it doesn't matter. And these are the kind of stories that, you know, she finishes the World Cup, she'll be one of the most decorated players in Australian football mm. history. Yeah, but it's it's tragic that she's not got those that memorabilia, the, those yeah, decorations oh, to, oh, look, to look back on. That's and, tragic. You know, it, it's terrible yeah. that yeah. Play, athletes get treated that way. Katrina Gorey, Asian Women's Player of the Year, has to even still buy her own books. Mm. I think that's ridiculous. I think it's despicable. You've got these companies, Nike, Adidas, who throw cash at all kinds of different players, from good to bad, and they can't find a, a book deal for the Asian Women's Player of the Year. I, I just that baffles me. That utterly. Be careful, baffles there's me. a soapbox, and I might step up onto it for <laughs> you hours. Step on it. Like I, when I spoke to Kai, I said, um, I think the last question was, the Women's World Cup is massive now. Like it's a it's a big event on the football calendar. I can't wait to watch it. I think uh, most people who who follow football, it's it's in, it's in the calendar now. It's you know is a thing to watch, yeah. and the world's eyes will be on. I remember the last couple of World Cups, Twitter's um, gone crazy with it. Social media, everyone gets on board. Um, it's uh, like m- you see memes going around from all the goals and all the crazy stuff that happens. Yeah. And you would think because the World Cup's coming, it sh- there should be um, players being sponsored by companies and um, corporates getting on board and uh uh, TV deals happening, all this sort of stuff, but you don't you don't see that kind of thing. Yeah, I think my my issue, I think, with women's sports um, in general and women's football in particular, there's a lack of imagination. There's mm. a lack of understanding of where the game can go, and because we keep it in this little box and we don't want to spend too much money on it, we just want to do enough. Um, it doesn't then have the space to grow. You've seen we've seen overseas what can happen if you spend a little bit of money on women's football. I always use the US as as an example. I mean, back in 1999, they were a team that nobody knew, mm. and now these players, um, you know, they they get paid a hundred thousand dollars a year and are able to be full time athletes yeah. um, and full time players. And we see where they are now. And you know, they just sold out a game with thirty thousand people at the game. That's where it can go if you start investing in it mm-hmm. and invest in, in a long-term strategy. It's not going to be a payoff in the next day. It's it's going to take a while, mm. but again, it's a lack of imagination of where it can go, and that's the issue with women's sport, I think. Mm. And when you see other women's sports like uh, I think you know swimming, netball, um, even women's cricket gets much more of a showing than than women's football does and when you consider the the size of the event and the magnitude you'd think that um there would be more coverage of it especially with the women's world cup you know when you when you look at the 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 amount of um in the countries that are involved and the viewers that are that will be watching those games you'd thought there would be australia would jump on board but it kind of hasn't figured it out yet yeah, I truly believe it will get there, and I have to give kudos to SBS and particularly Stu Randall from SBS, who worked really, really hard um, to get all the games on TV. Mm. They're going to be all fifty-two matches available to everyone. They're going to be online and um, streamed online and available to you. All the Matildas matches will be live with pregame. Um, Lucy Zelich will be doing um, the pregame as well. So there's absolutely ample opportunity. And look, I think 
expanding from 16 to 24, they will be a couple of dud games in terms of the score lines might blow out a little bit because mm. of the disparity between the teams. Mm-hmm. But come the knockout round, it's going to be some fantastic football. There's some great teams. And the technical ability, the tactical nous of the Women's World Cup um, is, is grown in the 10, 12 years that I've been watching it. Cool. Let's um, talking about the other teams playing. Let's let's go through the uh, our group quickly. Can um, we uh, can we talk about the seeding for our group? <laughs> I think they need to look at the seeding system. Surely. Oh man, that's outrageous! I... With a twenty-four team, oh. it's twenty-four teams now, right? And you, we're getting get the Mathil- second, the fifth, getting Sweden and USA in there. I've already apologised oh, because when I saw yeah. the pots come Euros. out yeah, come yeah. out in December, Mate, I was like, sorry. oh, the worst case scenario is USA or Germany, Sweden and Nigeria, but that won't happen. Uh, that's the worst. You called it. That's what he said. The last do. three that they never had, that, well, the last two, the two before they never had a group so bad, did they? No. And there was only 16 and that's... What, what can you explain? Crazy. How do you explain that? Oh, that was it. Was definitely all about the pots. So they had the seeds in the first pot, and then the second pot they had um, Africa and um, Oceania. The third pot was Asia, which is where we're in. The fourth pot was Europe, and then the fifth pot was North and South America. So it's literally grab a group from each pot, and that's how it happened. And it's unfortunately <laughs> it's the it's the bad luck of the draw, um, and what do you do um but i think stanch has a really good quote about it is that um they want to be one of the top three nations in the world they want to be vying for medals every single tournament and you got to beat those teams so Mm -hmm. why not do it in the group where when it's not a knockout and prepare yourself that way you know it could go badly for another team like japan's got three debutantes in their group how how prepared are they going to be when it comes to the knockout Mm -hmm. so you've just got to it's the bad luck of the draw. And in terms of the, the mechanics of progressing, obviously the top two are going to go through. Yeah. Best performing third place? Yeah, four best performing third places. Um, and that's where a group like oh, this okay, has been... Right. Yeah, this is yeah. where a group like this is beneficial because you would assume yeah. that nobody's going to get absolutely tonked in it. Yeah. And that means your goal difference will be good, you'll pick up points, you know, you'll be hoping to pick up points here and there, and then that puts you in a really good place for uh, best in terms of that and then the crossover is actually not so bad because then you get a Brazil possibly um, from that group and you know Australia beat Brazil Mm -hmm. um, 12 months ago so they wouldn't fear a Brazil even Mm -hmm. though they've got the likes of Marta in there yeah so so, um, I suppose we're well versed in the sort of teams like US and Sweden but Nigeria is just completely new beast yeah. that we don't really know what to expect I suppose we never played Matilda never played Nigeria never before. played Nigeria um, no, we've played Ghana before which were who didn't make it this time around so they do know what it's like to play African teams mm-hmm. um, we played Equatorial Guinea in 2011 as well again mm-hmm. really physical teams but Nigeria is going to be a slightly different side they've been um, finalists in the last two uh, two out of the last three under 20s world titles and okay. man they should have won the last one um, look to have scored a goal one of the um, strikers comes running in it was past the keeper she decides to tap it in and like you know smashing into the roof of the net offside flag comes up oh. and it was the 87th <laughs> minute oh. 
and then they ended up losing in extra time. So Nigeria, um, they've got some really good young players who have come through the last couple of cycles. Mm-hmm. Uh, Asset Oshwala is um, is the the big one. She's she's named the African um, Female Player of the Year and Young Player of the Year and. Um, yeah, so she's playing for Liverpool in England at the mm-hmm. moment. So they've got a really good squad, and I think they'll be a bit more sophisticated than we assume that African teams are going to be. I was going to ask what the, how seriously it's taken in Nigeria and Ghana. What kind of facilities have they, have they got? Like, obviously, it's huge in the US. Yeah, not great, but um, one of the key things is that a lot of their players play overseas. Right. A lot of them play yeah. um, in <coughs> Sweden, in France. Um, it's now starting to play in the UK. Um, they've got a couple playing in the American League. In fact, one just scored on the weekend. So they've got players who play in professional environments, which I think is going to be the key for them. So they're, look, top to bottom, it's a tough group. Are the, are the Nigerians? Is there a, a, a sort of an elite pathway in Nigeria that, that you know of, or or are they sort of expats that are that have come through the ranks of of, of sort of international leagues? No, there is a pathway um, of some sort, and a lot of them play actually uh, at club level. And there's a massive club in Nigeria called River Angels. That's okay. the club that Oswala came through. Right. Um, their coach has um, Edwin Okona has actually gone to the local league and tried to bring a lot of players from there and sort of used the expats as the cream of the crop. But mm-hmm. even a lot of those expats played in the local league before they, they got as well. right. oh, found, okay. found oh, and um, picked up by European sides. Cool. Pitches. Oh. Hot topic. I bet you're bored of talking about this. <laughs> oh, the turf. Um, <laughs> Whose idea was this? Where, why did it happen? I okay. blame Sepp Blatter. Oh, we always blame Sepp, don't we? <laughs> Uncle Sepp. Always had to blame The godfather. <laughs> Uncle Social. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, look, Canada bid for um, the World Cup on the premise that they would be using turf. Um, being a cold nation, turf is most cost-effective. It doesn't dry in their mm-hmm. ridiculously cold winters. So, um, you know, the the idea was that they they put in a bid on turf. The only other nation to bid was Zimbabwe. So to Canada we go. Right. Um, so look, it, I can understand the players' frustration. Turf does play differently. I, I watch a lot of games um, that occur on turf. It does play differently. It does take time to get used to. Um, and there were the whole idea was that um, behind the legal action was that there was a bit of discrimination, gender discrimination. Um, I can see that, but I can also see where a country like Canada wants to be able to bid for international tournaments. And Mm. if the only way they can do it is by turf, then they go ahead. I think players will adapt to it, although it probably will help those teams, younger teams like the Matildas. Um, The turf does take it. Players' bodies do take a pounding on the turf. Absolutely. Especially um, when knee injuries knee are injuries, common anyway. Soft tissue injuries, just the recovery. Uh, and particularly with... It's different if you've got a leg and you have seven days between games. Yeah. But you're playing every three to four days. Yeah. And, like, for an example, in Australia, every day, every game is going to be a final. Um, mm. So that's really going to hurt. And it's also going to hurt the teams who don't quite have the technique. So the technical sides like France and Japan... Uh, even us, we've got a pretty good technical side. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to help them yep. because they're just going to be playing it on the ground. There's not going to be that bounce factor that comes into it. 
if Canada and uh, Zimbabwe bid only with only bidders, why didn't Australia bid for that World Cup? Good question. Why didn't Australia bid for that World Cup? Um, a lot of the talk, and um, Benita Merciardis was um, talking about it when we thought we should bid for the 2019 World Cup, um, had a chat to her about it. Essentially, it was around the same time that bidding was for the 2022. Um, mm-hmm. I wonder how that one went. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> should we throw right. 46 million at something we're probably not going to win or maybe a million and a half at something we probably will win that's yeah. uh yeah, yeah. well that that just adds more hilarity to the uh <laughs> yeah. so that's that's why um we didn't end up bidding for that which is a bit of a shame because i think we would have had a really good shot at yeah. that one yeah. um, and we probably wouldn't have seen skippy the kangaroo in cartoon form that, that just doesn't that just that's a scratch head scratcher that one because would have been amazing to have the Women's World Cup here. Yeah. Just would have added... Imagine having the Asian Cup and the Women's World Cup in the same year. It would have I been... I think it just would have oh, been a, just yeah. a festival of football, yeah. you know? It would have been like, fantastic. They are bidding for the 2023 uh, Women's World Cup. Yeah. And it's probably going to be between Australia and Japan. Oh, I hate going up against Japan in anything to do with football. <laughs> um, so it's going to be... I think it will be a tough one um, up against Japan. They've got all the... They've got similar facilities to us. Um, add to that, they've been a really good Asian citizen and they've been a world citizen and they're current world champions. Mm. So it's going to be a tough ask. I think 2015 would have probably been a bit easier for us to manage. Um, but we'll see how we go. Mm. Finally, just before we uh, we let you go, Anne, um, who's going to win? So we've got, um, I've got I've pulled off the odds. Um, we've, we've got money and we've got bookmakers, so yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're going to tell us. And if you're <laughs> yeah. wrong, we're going to get the money from you. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> so um, USA are looking hot favourites at the moment. Germany not far behind them. Uh, and then Brazil, Japan, Sweden. Um, I, well, you, you mentioned the French. that You were surprised oh, that they weren't in that top five. I want to know what France's odds are because that's a hot tip right there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, France are world number three. They came into the tournament having um, big victories over, over the US, Sweden, and also Germany, who are all in there mm-hmm. as kind of the, the hot favourites. Um, they've got a new coach, um, Philippe uh, Bergeru, who's been playing, uh, doing really well with them in terms of their mental side. France's problem has never been, um, over the last couple of years, have never been the football they play. They play some of the best football around mm-hmm. um it's always been their mental capacity and over the big wins over the last year or so um makes you say uh that this could be their tournament so i'd be putting yeah on france i'd be looking france. at france they've got some great players um they're strong all across the pitch and again as i said they're one of those technical sides who i think will be advantaged by the world cup nine dollars nine oh take check. it take it <laughs> nine dollars that's where my money's going. Put your five dollars on that. Um, please bet responsibly. Yeah. <laughs> um, brilliant. Well, well, let's leave it there. And uh, we, we've already lost John Davidson, who's who's had to uh, scoot off for uh, for more Breakfast pressing. Or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, he, he did ask us to mention a big game coming up this weekend, which is Preston versus Swindon in the League One playoff final. Mass longer, Bailey Wright. Bailey Wright. So, um, uh, some Aussie shooter. Make sure you tune into that, and uh, and well, actually, you can support either Aussie and still win. So, uh, so pick your <laughs> Aussie first. Um, 
Before that, um, if we keep on the uh, on the women's game, uh, the Matildas play their farewell game at uh, the Jubilee Oval at Cogra on Thursday night, twenty uh, first of May, six thirty kickoff. Still I'll tickets. be on the sidelines behind one of the goals with my big camera. Excellent. You'll be in the stands. I will be in the warm. stands. I'll be uh, on the other sideline with my slightly smaller camera. <laughs> <laughs> and Connor will be wearing a balaclava. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> with the, the wrong way with around. With a flare. <laughs> <laughs> Women's football ultra. I'll be taking up the tifa that was uh, taken away from me. <laughs> um, so yeah, if you're in Sydney, go down and support the Matildas and their farewell game. Um, make sure you tune in to the, to the World Cup. Um, and thank you very much for coming in and thank chatting to us today. Thanks for uh, having me. That was very um, enjoyable. Just before we go, what's the, when's the first game on? Uh, the first game is June the 9th, Australian time, 9.30am, so perfect time. Oh, that's a good time. Great time. As I said, you can be streaming it online if you're at work or watching it on SBS. Um, all the times are pretty decent, actually, yep. in Australia. And there'll be a big Women's World Cup feature in the next issue of 442 oh, Magazine, which comes out the day after the US match. Hooray for us. <laughs> <laughs> well, it could be a yeah. bonanza, then. Mm. Yes. Suddenly yeah, everyone will want. Every, suddenly everyone will want exactly. to stuff. Um, brilliant, Kev. Thank you for this season. Thank you for uh, being a host. Mate. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been emotional. Con, you've come in um, halfway through the season. You're a January transfer. Yes. Um, it's been a pleasure having you. Thank you very much thanks, for your time. Thanks very much for inviting me. I've had an excellent time. A lot of fun. Um, I feel like we need to do a big group hug, seeing as that was the last one for the season. Um, we'll, um, we, we, we may even uh, come and have a little Women's World Cup cameo pod. I think we might well do. Maybe after after the group stages. If and stuff to celebrate and gloat over, then yes, we'll definitely have yeah. one. And, uh, and and if you are available to... Uh, to Are you going over there? I am, so you might have to FaceTime. Oh, cool. uh, FaceTime, FaceTime, you get yeah. you on FaceTime. Yeah. Brilliant. In right. fact, right about now is perfect. Good stuff. Yeah. Brilliant. Uh, well, there we go. Uh, listeners, thank you very much for tuning in to uh, 442 FM. Uh, we may speak to you in a few weeks. If not, it will be next season. So uh, thanks. Enjoy your winter, and we will speak to you then. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.